1: Good morning, everybody. A very warm welcome to the 2015 Goodwood Motor Circuit Revival, the 18th of these uh, wonderful historic retrospectives at this famous circuit. My name is Henry Hope Frost, and for the next hour, uh, it will be an enormous privilege for me to listen to six young pups just starting out on their careers in motor racing. They're here to make a good impression with you. Uh, do let me know at the end whether they've done a good job. Uh, before we start with our theme, which is historic racing Europe versus America, I'd like to introduce to say a few. Words, uh, Carsten LeBlanc, who is the managing director of Credit Suisse UK. Carsten.
2: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Henry, uh, for the introduction. Um, A warm welcome to the Credit Suisse Race Control Building, this wonderful place that Credit Suisse is happy to call its home during the revival. Credit Suisse Classic Car Program is now in its 11th year, and Goodwood Revival has been a very, very strong centerpiece of this for most of the time. I hope you all enjoyed having a bit of a breakfast and coffee this morning, and are ready and looking forward to the sixth historic racing forum. We are very privileged to have such an amazing lineup of legendary drivers. Despite what Henry was saying, I think they have achieved a fair bit in their lives. So I'm very proud and very happy. Um, We're also happy that many of them are long-standing friends of Credit Suisse. Um, Henry will make a proper introduction in a minute. Myself, I'm I'm an amateur racing driver. Um, I've done a little bit of racing in the U.S., quite a lot in Europe. And I'm very much looking forward to the um, panel discussion on the chosen topic of this year. So that's it for me. I hope you very much enjoy the next hour or so. And back to Henry.
1: Thank you, Carsten. Uh let me introduce the panel. Um, as Carsten said, uh, six icons, six legendary racing drivers with an amazing array of experience. On my left, possibly the greatest racing driver of all time, intrinsically linked with Goodwood. It is Sir Sterling Moss. alongside Sir Stirling, a man who won World Championship sports car races in his own car. He finished on the podium at Le Mans in 1976. He's a writer, he's a TV star and a bon viveur. It's Alan de (laughs) Cadenet. (laughs) I didn't write it. Another piece of British racing history, almost as famous as Sir Sterling Moss, a five-time Le Mans winner, an ex-Ferrari Grand Prix driver, a two-time world sports car champion, Mr Derek Bell. To my right, possibly our most mischievous panellist, it is... Winner of the 1975 Spanish Grand Prix for McLaren. He won Le Mans in 1989 for Saba Mercedes. Uh, he is the winningest man from the Group C era of uh, sports car racing. Mr Jochen Maas. These four chaps are are friends of Credit Suisse. You'll have seen them before in the forums, of course. This is now the sixth such forum. Two very, very important special guests joining us this time. A three-time Indy 500 winner. Only ten men have won the Indy 500 three times or more in its 104-year history. He's also a four-time series champion across the pond. A little bit greedy, I know. Mr. Dario Franchitti. And finally, last but very much not least, we have a man who raced for Lotus in Formula One. He was on the front row for the British Grand Prix in 1968, which incidentally is before I was born. Um, <laughs> doesn't, he, doesn't he look good? Um, he, is, he was a Formula One team boss with Arrows for many years. He was also Can-Am champion in the final year of that wonderful American series with Shadow. Mr. Jackie Oliver. <clears throat> Uh, Welcome to you all. Thank you very much indeed for coming. Uh, So, Sterling, can I start with you? Our theme is Europe versus America. We're going to be talking cars, possibly a little bit of crumpet. Um, Which was
3: better, Europe or America? You raced everywhere. I guess Europe because there's, there's quite a lot of different circuits. I mean, we, we've got circuits all over in Europe and we used to have much better ones we are ruining now, like Silverstone. Um, so, oh, uh, yeah,
4: yeah, I
3: Jackie, are you still a director of the BRDC?
1: <laughs> 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 Only you could get away with that. <laughs>
3: He's He's right, right. Right. No, I, you ask any driver and then they tell you uh, our national police is terrible there's no point having a theme is there
1: we, it just, <laughs> just, just, just talk about whatever you like um <laughs> You raced in America? With, um, yeah. Yeah, let's try and get a score on the, on the door for America. Um,
3: good place to race?
1: Good good ambiance. Yeah, good yes, atmosphere? Those,
3: I, I, yeah, I enjoy America very much, I think. They haven't got the circuits that we have, they haven't got the, the cars that we've got, but um, I enjoy it very much over there.
4: Feel free, guys, to uh, interrupt, <laughs> argue. Yeah, go on, I Darren. don't know how this works, I'm just this is my first time, but I think, as Sterling said, that a lot of the, the circuits now are being kind of ruined with chicanes and runoff areas that you go on for about three days um I think in the US, they've still got traditional tracks. Like Road America doesn't have one chicane. It's a four mile lap. It's all um, fast corners. It's a cracking track. And, and so I don't think they've gone overboard yet. There's a couple of corners at Watkins Glen I'd like to see a little more runoff area. There's a flat out and six gear corner that's got four feet of runoff, for instance. But in general. But I you've retired, so it doesn't really matter what you think. It's actually. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was a common theme here. But <laughs> um, yeah, but it's. I, I think they haven't ruined it. I think I was thinking about this other day, going back to the time when when the guys were racing. The circuits in the, in the Europe were definitely at a higher level and more plentiful, but uh, now I think it's got it's gone too far with with some of these things. You've got to make the track safe, but I mean, honestly, there's got to be a penalty for stepping over the edge, hasn't there? Jackie,
1: you raced in America. You were a team boss uh, of a Formula One team that went to America. Were you well uh, received in America? Did America embrace all the different things that you did?
5: I saw the police pick him up one day. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that, Ollie? We were at... Uh, we were at uh, Seabury. <laughs> Driving the 917s. I've got to interrupt because I've never forgotten seeing Ollie being frog marched away from the, from, the, from the road. We arrived late for practice because John Wire said, You two needn't turn up till 10 o'clock. So he and I, Jackie, because we're not starting the race, so he and I arrived with our kit bags to go, and because you're meant to walk over the footbridge, but the gates were open to walk across, which we had done before. So we just walked through, and these cops just got, and Ollie said, in in, in no uncertain terms, in a very polite manner, he said, get your hands off me. And he swung his kit back around and clouted these cops. The next thing, he's four foot off the ground, which, of course, is not difficult. And they've got him up in the air, and they're frog marching him off, but we've actually got away with it in the end, and we made the race, didn't we? But that, sorry, that was, I always remember you and sort of making such an impact on the American public.
6: You you are here to defend yourself. It's a true story. It's a true story. Actually, what quieted me down actually is when he got his gun out. <laughs> I thought the odds were against me here. But true, yes, we had a good time, Derek, didn't we? We are live across the world online, so uh, yeah. Let's let's remember it's a family show. I I very much enjoyed racing. In. It's different. I mean, as Sterling said, it's different. It's not European racing. It is great. I had a terrific time there. I did the whole thing. I did NASCAR as well. They call me the little limey. They were very friendly. Uh, The money was good. Turning left all the time didn't suit me. Um, I'm a right-hand man, really. (laughs) But the thing that really appealed to me when I first went to the United States to race... Well, there were a lot of ladies working on the circuit, which is unreal. So all the girls were there. They used to drive the tow trucks. And the first ones I met, because the car broke down, I said, what do you do? She said, well, I'm on the radio. And I said, what do you do? She says, I drive the truck. I'm the call cool girl, and this one's the hooker. <laughs> what? <laughs> You, you mean she played rugby? Oh, I see. Well, they call it. The cool girls are the ones on the radio. Just follow this a little bit, right? And they have and they, I wasn't meaning anything, but it was a good start. Anyway, carry on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Jochen, you raced in, I think, 13 uh, U.S. Grand Prix uh, At that time,
0: Formula One had a love-hate relationship with America, didn't it? No, not really. I mean, they liked it a lot. Watkins Glen was very popular in those days and then later. We raced in Detroit and we raced in, the, yeah, basically that. And, of course, what happened later, I didn't take part in that. In the parking lot in Las Vegas, we didn't do that. Um, or oh, I didn't do it. But... Um, no, I liked it a lot to race in the States, and I think their circuits, you know, I loved them a lot. I'm actually on Dario's side here because I thought they had a lot of natural, beautiful circuits. So it was good. I mean, I really enjoyed it there, and the Grand Prix, Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen had a big manco because the guardrail material was soft steel, and that wasn't very good. Whenever a car hit it, it opened up too easily and it bent too much, and things like that. So that was a pity. I think it's still the same material. It probably is, yeah. Uh,
7: I can tell yep. you a good Watkins Glen story. In 1971, we were there with those big uh, 512 Ferraris, and I was driving first time with an American called Lothar a really nice guy. But uh, I started, It was a six-hour race, and then we were allowed to do the can-am. But I got in and uh, to start the race, and it was bucketing. It was torrential rain. I came in after two hours to fuel and as I opened, the, I opened the door and Lothar's wife bent in and a uh, very heavily chested lady actually but she bent in and, and she said, Alan, stay in the car Lothar has never driven in the wet and that was part of American culture if the weather was atrocious then Americans didn't like to get out and race in the wet. They'd stop the race. But this was an FIA international race, so it had to continue. So I had to do another stint. And when it dried out, I was allowed back in. So he he got in and finished off the race.
1: Imagine that in your day, Sir Stirling, when people saying, I'm not going out because it's raining. They'd have been laughed out of town, wouldn't they? Yeah.
3: But, but America was quite different to here. You've got to realise that. I mean, I remember at Le Mans, they, they painted the circuit. had a white line painted six foot in 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 you know, six foot from the barrier, and the Americans were keeping within that. And so we could pass them on the outside on on the bit they didn't use. The Americans. I mean, when the Americans came over, really professional about it, they were fantastic. In the early days, I mean, you know, with Briggs and people, it was not the same.
1: Why don't they race in the wet in NASCAR? It would be brilliant.
4: It'd be bloody dangerous. I think the ovals is a tight enough sort of a tightrope that you don't want to be doing it in the wet. I could barely do it in the dry, to be honest. But, you know, with a bit of precipitation, it's not, it's not a good idea. Um, as Again, it's such a fine line and the speeds are high. I mean, the Indy this year, for instance, the minimum speed was 224 miles an hour in the corner in qualifying that was the slowest they went in the whole lap so yeah although Dixon did do a 233 lap average while it was raining which I pointed out to him it was raining he said yeah mate but they didn't throw the yellow flag so he just kept a foot in you tried
1: NASCAR briefly uh, it wasn't a success but um, I mean the, the, the fanfare around it is,
4: is incredible I mean, it's they were obviously a lot more friendly to Jackie than they were to me yeah I was kind of the outsider and they were. Yeah, it didn't go well I didn't like anything about it I didn't like driving the cars I love the people didn't like driving the cars, didn't get a thrill from it. I jumped back in the car and put a smile on my face, but uh, it certainly taught me a lot. It humbled me quite a bit. The
1: top guys, they've been racing for 100 years in NASCAR. They do a million races a year. I think
4: you've got to stick at it, haven't you? You can't just jump in. Uh, and be quick straight away? I think it's learning a completely different branch of the sport. You know, growing up, each car was a little bit quicker, a bit bigger, a little more horsepower, more downforce. And it was kind of a, you know, a, a curve. And then I get in this big, I can't say the word I was going to say, this big uh, hunk of junk that's completely different and reacts completely differently. They even talk differently. You talk about understeer and oversteer, they talk about push and loose and sway bars and. Hanard bars and all this sort of stuff and I didn't have a clue what they were going on about and they didn't even they didn't understand me either so it was an education. <laughs> That's from a man that lived in Nashville for uh, 15 years.
6: They have a different... Maybe it's different now in NASCAR but when I did it in 71 the first with John Donlevy with the Hummer and car at Daytona they had a philosophy think someone's playing an old video of you doing it out there by the sound of it They have a philosophy in NASCAR then I don't know if it's still the same now, Dario but cheap thingies don't get caught, oh yeah so Absolutely. when I first got in the car to go out to qualify, I went down the end of the pit road and the front end collapsed so I drove straight back in again, I said something's broken and they said no, no, we've got little wooden pegs in there so we get through the ground clearance didn't you know about that, everybody does it so, I mean, that was the mentality. Is that still the same now in Nascar?
4: Oh, yeah. There was a whole scandal recently. The big problem is the, the Goodyear tires tend to go over temperature very quickly, so people were drilling holes in the side of the... In the, 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 the sort of the, the bead of the tire, so when it got to a certain... It had to leave just a little bit, and when it got to a certain pressure it started to bleed air out then they eventually all got caught because somebody swapped teams and said oh by the way we were doing this uh, which tends to happen but yeah a constant constant way of skirting the rules how else do you get a 3500 pound stock car to do the things that they they, they get them to do it's quite impressive there was no cheating in your day
1: was there (laughs) it was far too far too civilized and uh, i
3: can't remember anybody cheating actually I suppose when you're good enough, you don't need to cheat, do you? Uh, but, yeah, I think, that, uh, I think really and truly that motor racing is quite different over here to there, and I think our, our understanding and and uh, working out the rules, I think, is, is quite important. But, um, I, I must say, I enjoyed racing in America because... Uh, they were. It was fun. You know, I can remember it's a, at Sebring, I made a bit of a sign to the guy that you know I was thirsty, and he held up a bottle. I came round, took the bottle, drank it, and gave it back to him. The next thing, case was four cents on it, and that could, it happened happen in America. I don't think it would over here. You won
1: Sebring, didn't you, in the Oscar? Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, it had a sort of club feel to it, and that's that's still true today, isn't it? Derek obviously raced at Sebring numerous, numerous times. Alan, you raced at Sebring. There's a sort of magic still to. The American way of doing things and, and, and
5: their circuits. Yeah, I think the, um, I mean Sebring is spectacular. It's the, the roughest place in the world. If you can do Sebring, the 12 hours of Sebring, it, you know, in your, in your uh, sports car and finish it, you know it's going to sail at Le Mans because it's so rough at Sebring. And I remember the first time we went there with the 917s in 1971. And I remember Mario was in the works Ferrari and I was in the Porsche and we were out for practice and of course the track was just bales once you go out on the runways there were bales and you went out there and if you sort of went out once you got for the night practice you'd sort of go for the turn 16 and the turn 16 wasn't there anymore because everybody had moved the bales and so you were flying around out on the runways wondering where the hell you were but you were doing 180 miles an hour I remember afterwards Mario said to me I don't know why the hell we come here and I said I'm never coming here again but I went there another 30 times I think you have a love-hate relationship with the place as you do Watkins Canal Cup Lake and the place is Lime Rocks
0: we see bring it one guy he got lost actually for half an hour he went yeah, yeah. across the runway and then it was suddenly in the dark he couldn't find it no. he went through all sort of taxiways yeah. and then he, he saw some lights over the high grass somewhere going this way so he thought it must be there but he still couldn't find it
5: now, you, you know when you're lost because the grass gets very tall in front of the car <laughs> seriously and you're out going the coffee yes. and going, This isn't right. And then you go, Yeah, but if I turn around, I'll be facing the cars, and I don't know where the corner is that they're coming into. <laughs> it was a really a nightmare, but they changed it a lot. It's still as rough as hell, and we still go there. And they get, I don't know, 200,000 people. And I it's think it's an atmosphere <laughs> that you can't believe. Don't you think it's a big the difference for me?
7: Was that when you went to the States as an amateur, you got paid to go and do it you couldn't get money out of people in Europe starting money for instance without the starting money amateurs couldn't go racing but when you went to the States like that Watkins Glen race you got more money for coming last in the Can-Am than you did for coming third or wherever in the six hour event is that right Yeah. yeah I mean you got and you got you got paid the money and you could do deals with airlines, you could do deals with tar companies, you could actually survive as an amateur driver. See, all these factory guys, they just got to park their bums into nice warm seats and uh, everything's just perfect. They've got mechanics in livery, they've got team managers. Us lot, grubby English mechs would show up with whatever we'd got. But if you could draw money for doing it, starting money, prize money, then you could, you could come away with a profit and that, for amateur racers, was a lifeline to being able to continue to race. Even though the Yanks, all for some reason, best known to themselves, all go round the track in the wrong direction. I don't know, why do they do that? I mean, everything's anti-clockwise there, whereas, of course... Well,
5: look, Dario did all right on it. Yeah, he did very well.
4: <laughs> I didn't get lost. It, you know.
7: <laughs> How did you get used to that then? You, all your early racing was going clockwise, and suddenly you've got yeah. to go the other way.
4: Well, I mean, it was half and half. You know, a lot of the, the road courses are the correct way around but the oval stuff was difficult my biggest problem I had early was getting out of the car and being dizzy actually because just the the consistent g-forces yeah and uh, you know some of the shorter tracks are mad the three quarter mile oval when you go around in I think it's 14 and a half seconds or something or 15 seconds and to get used to but doing gets, that Do you do get special
7: done. exercises then to sort of, uh, what about the G loading do you have to do special
4: exercises do you, get, Yeah in, well your head place? was kind of supported because of the high sides of the cars but you were under the, on the whole lap there was only two seconds you were under a G and it peaked about five and a half G's in the middle of the corner And uh, that got your attention. You're trying to breathe and down the street and then hold your breath and then get some more breath in and hold your breath again. But think of the money you
0: earn, Derek. It's amazing. (laughs) Uh, That's not why he did it, Derek. He did it because he loves driving. I know. I think UBS went through great lengths to sponsor this group outside.
1: (laughs) They're doing well. (laughs) That that is the end of your relationship with Credit Suisse. (laughs) I'm am, I am certain um, <laughs> what is that Din? I mean, what's going on out there uh, oh, it's ghastly American things Yeah. <laughs> I wish I'd changed the theme now um, you didn't race at uh, Indianapolis your, your father did
3: yeah, I, I would like to have done. why
1: didn't you fancy that on the basis I, you raced anything no, the anywhere the reason I
3: didn't is because the Americans if you wanted to run at Indianapolis you had to give up three weeks of rookie training and all this sort of stuff now, were, you know can't waste time on that because there's three races in Europe you know, which we had a good chance of winning I I really do wish I'd I'd been to India. I think it must be a very exciting uh, circuit.
1: Did your loyalty to British manufacturers get in the way of that as well? Because in your era, the Brits hadn't been to India yet. Yeah.
5: No, I I don't think it did, quite frankly, no. One of the things certainly was in our era and yours too Alan was the fact that the thousand kilometers of the Nürburgring and the thousand kilometers of Spa were in the month of May and if you were under contract to Porsche or Ferrari anybody you couldn't swan off to Indianapolis for three weeks and I had the chance to go and drive for a good team but because I was quite good at high speed corners they said but you know we couldn't go because it was too important with your factory contract. Yeah.
1: Uh, are the days of doing uh, uh, Formula One and IndyCar series uh, gone? Can you you know parallel programs? No,
4: if there's think, no calendar clash, of course. I think it's gone. I think it's gone because of the contracts. I mean, unfortunately, Formula One drivers can't really do anything now. And uh, you know they get this reputation of not being car fans not being in love with the history of the sport and I don't think that's true I know a couple of the top, absolute top guys there that love old cars and have some cracking cars in the garage but can't talk about it because of sponsor stuff but as far as with Indian stuff no, it's just never going to happen and particularly with some of the accidents with Dan and now losing Justin as well they just will not be allowed to do it Um, Rubens came over and did it loved it, loved driving the 500 um, suited him very well and, but the, yeah, it's it, it's a shame that it's just, you know, the days of Jimmy Clark missing Monaco to do,
0: uh, do Indy in 65, you, you'll never see it again, and it's a, it's a real shame. I think since the demise of the Concords, that's also put a span out of the works because Andretti still made it during the Grand Prix in Monaco and Indy. So he dashed over quickly and all that. But, um, yeah, no, it makes sense too, in a way. I mean, you can't, it's too dangerous too you know i need to jump from one to the other and have the trouble uh, strain as well i wouldn't recommend that at all sterling it's sad
1: isn't it that drivers uh, can't just jump from one car and one series to another like you did you at a typical meeting you you'd do the grand prix you do the sports car race you do the touring car race and invariably you'd win in in all of them why doesn't that happen anymore
3: it's a good question i have no idea I mean, the drivers I'm sure would, would waste it anything and I don't see why they don't but I presume there must be some regulation or something or other that stops them the
1: trouble I mean, is if you've got a Goodyear it's badge it's on contract. your overalls and a, they want you to drive contracts. a car at
6: Pirelli you can't all the, can you, all the Formula 1 teams right, if I had top driver and he wanted to do something else I would enter into a contract that prevented to him just in case did you have an empathy with your drivers wanting to do other stuff because you'd done it <clears throat> they did but I mean now it's changed it's so important It's a 24-hour job in Formula One or any top series, and the commercial element of it, it would be wrong for a team owner or a sponsor to allow the uh, unexpected. And they'll never stop spending, will they? It won't suddenly become uh, uh, cheap and cars without branding and the technology won't Uh, uh, just disappear. As Roger Spencey said to me once, he said, how fast do you want to go, how much do you want to spend? I
4: think the one change to that was Nico Hulkenberg this year went and showed up at Le Mans which was fabulous, they let him do it, they showed up at Le Mans and, uh, and won it in the Porsche that was really, really cool to see. Using a Mercedes in Formula 1? Yeah, that's very, very
1: refreshing, Could,
4: yeah. will that open the floodgates do you think to, to other opportunities? Well, I think there's a lot of interest but you're not going to get the absolute top guys, Ari it's just not going to be released, Jenson's not going to be released to do it, um, Vettel, I can just see Ferrari letting him drive a Porsche
3: <laughs>
1: no. It'd be cool, though, wouldn't it? Vettel in a, in a 430 or uh, in... in I mean, G-
4: East again, the Ferrari need to have a P1 car. They need yeah, to have something do. fighting against Porsche with that 919 and stuff,
6: don't they? That would be cool, but like the old days. As you're talking about uh, USA and Europe racing, I'm really interested to see for an American team to come into Formula One. I yeah, Haas are coming, aren't they? Well, I did it with Shadow, uh, and it just didn't quite come off, but it's a difficult thing to do uh but it'd be really nice to see that happen well, that's because don driver. nichols was a tricky guy wasn't he i mean no he was all right he was an ex-spy he was fine yeah. <laughs> do you know how he started life off he was a he was in the intelligence and the army at laguna seca which is where the uh, fort Ord base was and as a young man he got keen on racing but i mean they were he was a spy That was his first job. I've still got the contract that you and Don
7: Nichols signed with me and Graham Hill when we had that, what was it, DN1. We had a contract to go Formula one racing (laughs) with Jack and uh, Don Nichols. This is Graham Hill. And it was signed on a Little Chef napkin (laughs) (laughs) to supply one DNA, one, was it DNA, DN1 or whatever, yeah, DN, Don Nichols, one shadow car. And that was a that was a, a legally binding contract. Little chef napkin, we sat in the restaurant and did it. What 1973? That's right. It's unbelievable. Mm. And money changed hands. Bits and pieces came flying out of their factory. We all put it together. Actually, Don was a good bloke, I suppose. I mean, at least he was prepared to dispose of a current car. But Tony Southgate was the designer, wasn't he? Yeah, we needed good the money. Good days. Man. Can we, can we talk UAP. a bit about historic racing between America and? Please do, Alan. I mean, yes. Yeah. When I first went to Laguna Seca to do an historic race, Steve Earle, who ran it, said to me, if you go about it the way you do in Europe, you'll get banned for two... If you touch another car, you're out for two years. And you, yeah, were, there, you were there, weren't you? So please? he
3: got really annoyed because I passed somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> over <laughs> hoping it was so restricted over here it was absolutely staggering really i mean the americans had so much to learn at that time and of course they've caught up now and they're doing that well is that still well, the I, case is it still very strict in
7: uh, the well Laguna's pretty strict? much they don't like they don't like damage to take place to old cars i mean it's like a demolition derby here in comparison <laughs> to what they have over there yeah. i was in that event with Sterling, and and basically he's quite crafty about it of course he he braked as I came round the corner and I swerved to avoid him otherwise I'd have clouded him up the backside to get by they, they then banned me for overtaking him I said I didn't overtake him he undertook me
1: laughter <laughs> and that
7: was it I mean I was out for two years because I'd overtaken him I undertook him is that actually what happened or not <laughs> I don't know I can't remember
3: <laughs> I
1: think Lotus, you got
7: away with it. notice
4: 23 B's we were in oh, right that's what yeah, they call they in America th- pleading, the fifth, yeah, as, yeah, you pleading you the fifth you don't say anything because it will incriminate you apparently
1: uh, yeah. Do the Americans have, I mean, you spent a lot of time there in, in recent history, do they have the same love of what went in and on in the past? Absolutely. There's a, there's a real boom in retro
4: stuff, isn't there, oh God, and yeah. helped by this event. Absolutely. No, the, the, I think the world over, the historic racing scene, the historic car scene is just booming, isn't it? And it's a, it is a different atmosphere. And, you know, having watched it, the guys running around at, uh, at Monterey and places like that, it, it this is serious here when you come here you watch everybody it's serious they all want to win Um, it's a bit more of a demonstration I think over there but they are getting to the point now where where they they take it a lot more seriously and the the, the competition's a bit tighter
1: there's no nonsense here though either is there if you're you're naughty you will you get sent away for a while to calm down don't you
5: yeah definitely but I think it's changing as you say very quickly in America because Steve Earle doesn't run it anymore sadly in a way uh, it's run by Scramp, who are about to lose it to NASCAR, who are trying to buy Monterey Circuit, Laguna Seca, which is a tra- will be a tragedy if they do, I think. And, <clears throat> but the racing has got... I was racing a birdcage Maserati the other week, unfortunately. And it was, you know, r- the blokes are really going for it now, much, much more than they were. But, I mean, still people spinning off. But there's a lot more um, private... The owners are driving a lot more, but they do... A- these owners do a lot of races. I mean, I was in this truck and there were six um, gentlemen, you know, drivers, all that go out and do 10 or 12 races a year. And all that, they buy a transporter between them. They have six cars in the truck, all the mechanics, and they deliver them to Laguna. And these guys coming in their planes and get in their cars. And they have a blast. They have a wonderful, wonderful time. So that in that respect, these professionals haven't come in and ruined it, not ruined it, but I think the professionals coming And here, have ruined it for a lot of the private owners.
3: Yeah, but Derek, I, I it, can it, remember it, in America where they actually had no passing zones. Yes. I mean, extraordinary sort of thing. But they suddenly came out with this thing: you can't pass from here to there.
5: But you didn't take any notice of it. No, of course day, I so didn't. Did
3: no, I don't. I don't understand the language. You're quite right,
1: <laughs> uh, folks. We've got about twenty, twenty-five minutes left. Um, we are encouraging questions. So if you have any questions uh, towards the end, then uh, please stick up a hand. Uh, we're also encouraging questions online using the hashtag Racing Forum on the various social media sites. So we'll have a few of those uh, a little bit later on. Jackie, you're racing in historic racing now does it feel like it used to feel is it like a sort of return to the good old days for you having done the modern bit
6: in the middle well I often get asked this question and it's not a fourth career because it's expensive (laughs) Um, professional driver, team owner and then stage manager at Silverstone for a while and they've required all different types of skill sets of which I was prepared for none of them until I learnt as I went along Uh, I think classic car racing is the same it, it is the trouble is with driving racing cars it's speed it's nicotine and I went back to it because Lord Mark said to me would you like to do the revival back in 1999 I said I haven't driven a race car for 30 years he said well I've got this American who will give a little Porsche and I'm sure you'll be alright I'm sure you'll get a license so I came here drove the little Porsche at the back of the field and uh, he said to me, "That yeah, way, well, I worked out all right." Didn't I? I said, "Yeah, I really enjoyed it." He said, do you want to do it again? I said, "Yes." Can I have one with a bigger engine next time?
3: <laughs>
6: that is the problem with it. Once you delve into it again, and I did 15 years ago, um, it not only becomes expensive, it becomes a- adrenaline-driven. You guys are
1: all still scratching your riches, aren't you? <laughs> Say, what it?
6: So, Actually, so, so to reason, speak. It? Well, you see. can't. You
1: can't let it go. You you, you love driving anything. No, and,
5: no. All, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean it it does get in your blood it's very, it must be difficult for you because you obviously you don't really drive anything much but sadly but it is great fun to get in these glorious cars and that, the other day I was just at Monterey and driving this birdcage the car hadn't been run for months or years I don't know and you'd get, in- you'd get enthused about it. And as I, I was sitting beside the car in the morning in the, in the paddock, and my son Justin, who I haven't seen since Lamar, comes up, and he sees the birdcage, he says, Shit, Dad, you can die in that fucking thing. And I went, oh, that's a good start. Um, and, uh, and then I thought about that quite heavily, and then up comes rob dyson and he says this historic racing is crazy he said you know he said i was with bob aiken and and we i said to Bob, we should never do this again he said a month later bob was dead i thought well this is really encouraging I can't wait to get in this car and as i drove out on the track in this thing that sort of wrapped up in a sort of a bird cage really thinking what's going to happen when i get out there and as i went out under that sort of bridge they got as you go onto the track i went why the hell are you doing this at your age and i went because anybody in this paddock would jump at the chance to drive that because my hero, Sterling, Dan Gurney, <coughs> Carol Shelby, drove bird cages in the period, and it was part of racing. And here I am getting the opportunity to drive it. So yeah, I mean, I
7: you know why? Because you're a racer. You see, here's the difference. You Anybody can drive a racing car. but There's a big difference between someone that drives a racing car and someone who is a racer. And you guys are all racers. I like to think I was a racer too. So... Derek will sit there and I've sat there often. He says, oh, I don't really take this too serious anymore. I mean, I'm only out there to have a bit of fun and I just want to uh, trot around and enjoy myself. Like hell, gee, when he gets on the road, he doesn't want to come second either. Nor does Jack, nor does Jochen, nor would you if you were racing. And Sterling, for sure. Because once yes, you've been you in the mirror.
0: When hmm? we see you in the mirror, we don't want to be overtaken by it. Yeah. So, yeah <laughs>
8: Some <laughs> little cosmopolitan to to eh? yeah. academy. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I've had that before where I've been nerfed off the track by a young guy that said I can't be beaten by an old grandfather like you
1: he said so you've got to go
5: He's pointing at me like that
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alan what was the motivation to uh, build your own car run your own team well uh, no one had ever won Le Mans with a homemade car uh, that designed
7: it and driven it himself And in my case, because I had bumped into this young guy down at Brabham's who seemed to be able to explain complicated technicalities in layman's language, he was called Gordon Murray, I realized when I was sitting in the pub with him, I was was in front of a genius. And so when I I got Jack Brabham's Formula One car when he retired, which we started to campaign, and I asked Gordon if he could convert it into a two-seater. So that's what we did. And it was so successful, that really gave me the urge to go on. I thought, uh, I'll set myself the goal of trying to win Le Mans with a homemade car. Because no one's ever done it. And we, we did win a couple of world championship races. I think first time anyone done that. And then Jean Rondeau won Le Mans in 1980 because I was driving with Desiree Wilson, which was a most extraordinary experience I ever had, I think, <laughs> with a, a, a lady driver that was as good as she was, unbelievably quick. But she knocked the wheels off the car in practice in 1980. And anyway, we, I went past Jean Rondeau. You know, I gave him the bird as I went by under the Dunlop. Rail. I thought, we're going to win this thing if we keep going. And then something broke. But it, it, I think as an amateur, you've got to set yourself a task of more than just existing from one race to another you've got to set yourself the task of trying to win and i think if you're in a formula it's nice to have actually won at least a race or two or three and i think of some great formula one drivers like chris amon god bless him who raced i don't know what, 150 grand prix and never actually got to win one particularly so just through
1: bad luck so i thought at least try and win something Stunning, what was the appeal to you to race the sort of the homemade cars the, the garagistes, the HWMs uh, and the Connorts?
3: Yeah well I started out with those sort of things I mean and John Cooper of course brought out the Cooper which was so easy to drive I mean you get in the Cooper and it really is an easy car to race fast and uh, you know when, once you've done that I mean the HWMs were great because it allowed me to go around Europe uh, driving on great road circuits, see we didn't have them over here other than the Isle of Man but uh, in europe of course you did every weekend we're at some small place you're demonstrating what the cars were like and that's a fantastic life did you ever race any american cars and uh, if so what were they like I can't remember having driven a race. not American one, no. The Eldorado Special at Monza. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the Eldorado Special Oof. was, well, so it was, one was and four and a half litres. <laughs> yes, when,
1: when Europe and America came together for the Monzanapolis, the,
3: right. the, the, the Americans uh, got, got one over you, didn't they? Well, these, You were the best of the Europeans well, in two of the heats. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, the Americans were doing very well. But I'm going round the top of the banking about 175 or so, and suddenly my arms crossed, and I knew something was wrong. And, uh, you know... And, it was really quite frightening, although except to close my eyes and put my foot on the brake. But really, I, I can't tell you, those few moments before that and when it stopped were, were pretty exciting. And was it not also when it was raining the Americans wouldn't go out? Oh, that's, yeah, we, yeah, we, that's yeah right. in the early days. The Great knowledge, Lady Moss, once again. Yeah. <laughs> She's an she's incredible biography, actually. You're ready. You're ready. <laughs> no, but they, would, they wouldn't go out in the wet. And, and uh, you know, it's, I mean, Steve Earle was, was also quite a weird man to, you know, run a circuit and so on. He wasn't really um, that keen, I think. I mean, because if you went there and raced, you, you'd, get to, you'd get pushed out. he would say you'd do that again and, and you're not going to be here anymore. Which I thought was very small-minded. Yeah. Jackie, Can-Am was a, was a wonderful thing between 66 and
1: 74 in its proper iteration. You were the last champion. Is Can-Am the sort of thing that could only have happened in America? Almost rules-free, massive power, spectacular machines on quite dangerous tracks.
6: Well, someone's doing a book, and they call, a journalist called me the other day, um, and uh, he wanted to comment on it about why did Can-Am stop. And really the reason why Can-Am stopped, because it was unlimited formula. Uh, We got away with it uh, in the 60s and early 70s with turbocharged engines uh, producing a 1,000 horsepower if not more. uh, First ground effect cars because the tyres were so big, the engine so powerful, you could run high drag big wings. So the cars were high in downforce, high in power. The circuit's not capable of controlling them. So it had to come to an end because of that, because it's an unlimited formula and they were fantastic cars to, to drive. I mean, you, you, at 200 miles an hour with that amount of downforce in cars in the 70, the engine producing seven, eight, nine hundred 900 horsepower grunting away and the downforce pushing the nose uh, down on the ground and lots of circuits in the United States were preceded with high-speed corners at the end of the long straightaways, so they were spectacular cars to drive. And when Porsche came with the turbo cars, it was even more spectacular. But was fact, it, fu- was it fun to
3: drive them? Though was it was it fun?
6: Well, they were high downforce cars. Yeah. So you know you could you you could handle the car in high-speed corners because of the downforce, high drag. Right. But the interesting thing is, as soon as uh, Porsche came with their turbo car. At Shadow, we turbocharged one of our big uh, uh, 7-litre engines and uh, we just put big truck engine turbos on it. Uh, The lag was unbelievable and it produced 1,400
3: horsepower.
6: I mean, it was slower than a normally aspirated car because it was impossible to drive. At at Riverside, it would spin its wheels in top gear. Because <laughs> he had so much talk, that's why. So you could the see ring. where the formula was going to go. I mean, I'm surprised he can. I'm surprised he can
1: cross his legs. To be honest, um, <laughs>
5: <laughs> you
1: did canam too, didn't
5: you? Well, yeah, a couple. Yeah, it was. It, I wrote you know, for a low tar motion backer, and I had the big breast bit as well, just like yours. Yeah. He did not encourage you to carry on for another hour? I have to admit. But um, driving, driving that was, but she was a very attractive girl, that one. Lothar's <laughs> yeah. um, wife. But I, I remember, I mean, it just shows how physical it was even then. we, They flew me over for some ridiculous reason in the mid 70s to drive at Mid Ohio a Lothar Moschenbacher and an MA something or other, the smaller engine yeah. car. And uh, I get there, I've never been to Mid Ohio in my life, and I go out, and of course, there are two 100 mile races, right, Jackie, we used to do. I don't even know, you might have been in the race in 73 or 4. Anyway, I, I just remember going out there and of course I drove my heart out because I was used to that from former two and three and whatever. And uh, so drove absolutely flat out, couldn't quite stay with the 917 turbos, oh, that, which is not, under, not surprising. And I finished the race, came in and I'm going, whoa. And I went to get out of the car at or high, you know how humid it gets there. And I got out of the car and fell straight over and I realized I was a little dehydrated. So they pick you up and wheel you off and lay on a bed of ice and give you intravenous. And most of the drivers have done it before. They actually drive up to the medical unit and sort of say, Take me. And they pick you out and <laughs> lay you on a bed of ice. So, so they did not like today when they have air conditioning outlets. So you did this and they go, Christ, I have no way I can drive again in half an hour. So then, you know, 40 minutes later, it's back out there again for the second 100 mile. The second time I took so, it a bit easier. But it was really, really exhausting. I mean, you know, very, 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 physical. very physical. I used to get
6: muscle, uh, muscle spasms. And the only way I could get back in the car is to go to the doctor and used to give me an injection to stop the muscle spasms.
5: Yeah.
6: I mean they were so tough to drive. Mm. It was my was b- my, my neck size went up two inches.
5: It's amazing, isn't yeah, it? That's I mean, all
6: that so went awesome. up at two inches then.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it was great fun going to America. Though I always found, I mean, it, it was such an open country, and everyone w- would accept you for yeah. coming over there. Be pleased to see you. They'd feed yeah. you, they say, give you, give you a bit of money. But it was. Remember, we had some great adventures going to South America as well. You know, when we, do, God, do you remember? <laughs> I mean, I got fa- I've got I've got <laughs> cine film of me and Jack sitting on the beach in somewhere in Uruguay, was it or Paraguay? Paraguay I think it was. it? Yeah. God, it was fun Uruguay, there. Paraguay a bunch of lollipop it. ladies, <laughs> all sort of around them I mean we all had an awful lot of fun racing one way or the other if you're a factory man or you're an amateur you went abroad to enjoy yourself racing and just having fun seeing the world I always think that Sir Sterling has probably had the most unbelievable life of all of us because you were traveling around the world yeah. just after World War II when people could not travel but, yeah. but you did you went to places and raced when most people were sitting at home wondering where their next meal was coming from.
3: Yeah, but that was the good news from my point of view. I'm prepared to travel and you know, negotiate on the start money and all those sort of things. So I had a really good really. Did you time. negotiate your own money and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Usually, not always. Not always, but to sometimes be John Ware or somebody like that. Mm. Did
1: yeah. you say to me recently, Sterling, you uh, you would rather have raced in your day because after winning a race, you could chase Crumpet. Nowadays, Lewis Hamilton has to talk to someone from Vodafone.
3: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what he's inherited, you see. I mean, that's, that's the point. I mean, Lewis, I mean, who's a fantastic driver, I mean, when he wins, he goes off to Vodafone and has a chat with them. And we do we didn't, you know. I mean, we were free and easy to go. Okay, you were uh, uh, slightly <laughs> trance-like. Yes, I've
1: I've lost my train of thought entirely. Um, where where are we? Uh, anything to add, Jochen Mars? Come on, you've got some stories. It's about time you did no, a book. Actually, really,
0: no, no. In South Africa, when we did the Springboks, here it was nice talking about crumpets or whatever. <laughs> there was a young girl, one of the one of the lollipop girls, there. and um, I said oh, yeah. to her, "What are you doing later after the race?" And it's the voice B- behind B- me said, "Sitting right there." It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. We were not actually. We didn't even know each other, and she was far too young. And she was that height, and. Um, Anyway, and uh, this voice behind me, rather stern, said, "She's coming home with us. It was the mother." I said, "It's okay. I was just joking. I didn't mean anything what I said." <laughs> this sort of thing. But there, there
1: is a more as a, as a European racer growing up through uh, single seaters and DTM. When you got to America, is it much more relaxed? An open house, and, uh, and the, the fanfare is greater.
4: There's definitely more of a show, you know, Particularly go to indie in the last two years. Spectating there, I got to see it all for the first time because normally you're so focused, you don't get to to really enjoy the the sort of all, all the things that go on there. But as a as a advisor and my new thing, I could see it all and have fun and enjoy it. But there's definitely a. a, a, a big focus on the show and it's well done. As far as the drivers I was lucky, I got, I came over there with a group with like Greg Moore, Max Pappas Tony Kanaan, all these guys and we became really good friends off the track on the track it was a different story You know, if you expected them to give you an inch on the track forget it, but I was lucky that we we kind of grew up together in, in, in that period of time and, and had a lot of fun um, when we weren't driving, it was kind of a throwback to the old days maybe I'm not sure we got in as much trouble as you guys did, but uh, we tried our well, certainly Well, in uh, Daytona,
7: the, when I remember the first time I went there, uh, I got out the car, and I, I said to some guy, well, wh- where do we go, what do we do now? He said, hey, want to go have some fun? This is while well, the race is on. He took me off, there was like a, a shooting gallery just next door to the track. And uh, we all ended up with Colt 45s plugging away at these targets, went back to the track, and you know, had another stint. I mean, it was brilliant. You know, and That's what I like about America. That's when you were all fired up, stuff. right? The,
4: yeah, You were all fired up then. That's I the was all fired up. Extent. You clearly were not driving for Chip Ganassi, I'll tell you that. Yeah, um, The we were-
6: fans were great. In the 70s, I don't know whether it's the same now, but it was all about a weekend with beer and tents. I don't know whether it's the Absolutely. same. Absolutely. And then, of course, in the 70s, 70s, there was a fad going on about mooning, and I remember one time on the opening lap, right, coming up the straight at um, the Canadian circuit, and there's a marshal wrestling this big guy because he had his trousers round his ankle, mooning all the people that came past on the first lap. I, I'll never forget that—the most unbelievable sight. But they all used to do it. I mean, quite often, you know, three or four bums a race I used to see. Do you know? <laughs> so they still do that?
5: not that I remember <laughs> I remember one year at um, Sebring which to say was really quite a den of iniquity because they have the zoo out it the back it still is isn't yeah, it and it still is it's just amazing and I was driving with Earl Holbert and we could never seem to be able to win the damn race we'd be on pole and things would always go wrong and this girl kept appearing every time I came in she would sort of put her head over the back of the pits and said are you finished yet you know and eventually we did finish because the clutch went and she, she said you finished now and I said yes she said why don't we slip out the back and do some cocaine
0: <laughs> she half mooned you or what I won't tell you the rest of the story but it was
5: quite <laughs> oh, come on Derek <laughs> an entertaining evening
6: Derek and I raced together quite a lot I could tell you some stories about Derek
5: <laughs>
6: oh yes the wonderful one Please, Austria, no, no Austria one's going to stop you Jackie no one's going to stop you
5: Okay, so it's a children's show too, Ollie,
1: we can't go into Yeah, that. it is. Um, Derek Jochen, you were uh, very successful in Group C and Impsa,
5: the, the parallel American series. Yeah. Which was better? Were there any specific differences? The, that the, total, the, t- the two differences were we've talked about America, what planet it was. It was a real much more country atmosphere everywhere we went. The main difference was the cars. And the cars looked the same pretty much, but they were different. In America, we had to have a, a sort of higher ride height so the car, because the tracks were so rough which they saw fairly rough still primitive in respects and the cars did handle differently and over here we had ground effect much more physical probably here in certain respects but from the rest of it they were just the same in the enthusiasm of the drivers the enthusiasm of the teams both sides was great but you were racing for Porsche here or Ferrari or whoever it was over here whereas when you got to America you were racing for maybe the the uh, concessionaire for that country yeah. so you, you had a different atmosphere I f- I and the s- guy that ran it like Al Holbert, yeah. he was my teammate as well as probably being the greatest driver all round driver I ever raced with but he, you know, was the head of Porsche racing in America as well.
0: It still gives me great pleasure to have beaten him in Del Mar, for an example, in the last lap. That was nice. I'm sure it was. It was. good because that's he was I, really miffed with me. That's and, where I,
5: yeah, but you remember that, Jochen. We, I had a teammate <laughs> who we had two, we started two cars at Del Mar. And I was driving one. They said, you stay in and then, you know, maybe jump in the other car after two or three hours, you know, because the other one, one of them might break. So we did this. So, I'm lying third, you were lying second, and the other guy, I won't mention his name, was leading. In the other brown car, he crashes. So, that's it, leaving Jochen in the lead, and they say, you better start going for it. No, no, I overtook him. Oh, did he? Well, then he crashed. Then he um, crashed. Then he crashed at the hairpin, or what the heck it was. And blew me down, half an hour later, I'm, they say, I come in and they say, we're going to put so-and-so in the car. I said, bugger that. I said, he's already crashed once. They said, we've got to let him in. I said, oh, fine, okay. They let him in. He crashes at the same damn corner again. And that was it. And Jochen won. But we did get going again. After
0: yeah, but back. it was a beer sponsor as normal. I mean, you know, exactly. he had a little bit of a... Whatever, But I found IMSA racing was very nice because we had a lull in, this, in the 80s over here. So it was Porsche, Porsche, and we didn't have much competition from the customers sometimes, yes, but not always. And uh, so it was more interesting to race the States and IMSA, similar cars. I mean, the same cars set up differently. It was nice, actually. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It was very good. You, you know what's
7: like interesting, them. Henry, is oh, that the, the fascination that Americans have had to come over to here, to Europe and try and win like the 24-hour race at Le Mans Briggs Cunningham for instance I mean and and, and Dan Gurney and, and Phil Hill Americans became great endurance drivers Grand Prix drivers too of course there's always we've talked about us going over there that a lot of Americans love coming over here they still do and uh, I remember Le Mans, what was he called, Greenwood, showed up with yeah. his Stingrays. John Greenwood. And we had a guy showed up with a NASCAR. We all laughed. I thought, you can't race a NASCAR at Le Mans, a Stingray. But they did. Those Greenwood cars were unbelievable. Do 210 miles an hour down the straight, but he couldn't stop it. Couldn't stop it, I think yeah. he went to
1: Arnage once by mistake, you know, didn't, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and John died recently, didn't he? Pardon? John died recently, actually. Yeah, did yeah. oh, yeah. he, yeah. yeah. amazing character. Um... Indianapolis you, you never did it did you, you were you inspired by people like Dan Gurney oh are very you, much I you... mean
3: Dan Gurney was I think probably the best American driver and I knew Dan pretty well because we shared in car. and I'm sure you know that he would be really good um, I mean I've, I can't remember exactly how many races we did together but quite a lot
7: Comrade bird cages, yeah, and stuff, yeah, exactly. You? Yeah, yeah, you won the Nurburgring thousand
3: yeah. Ks with. Yeah, and you? then we went. We went to Cuba and uh, saw Superman. I remember it was the big thing over there. And uh, anybody who wants to know about that, I'll tell them afterwards. But,
6: uh, <laughs>
3: but it was a great, great meeting. Uh, we have a few minutes left,
1: ladies and gents. Uh, some questions. Anyone got a question? Yes, sir.
6: Favorite road
5: course in America.
4: Elkhart Lake. Nice. Elkhart Lake, mostly, no yeah. question. The, the Indy cars are going back there next year. I'm going to have a word with my doctor and see if I can get uh, dispensation. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, don't worry about the doctor. It's the insurance company that's a problem. Yeah. Elkhart
0: Lake's yeah. great, but CS Point is also very, very nice uh, in California. It's very, it's a great circuit. It was very good. Yeah,
5: but yeah. they're trying to do their best to ruin it. The NASCAR own it, and so they've gone and put yeah. these extra curves in, which is, I think, a yeah. nice... It was such a demanding track, and it's, I wouldn't yeah. say it's not demanding, oh, it but it's lost is. a bit of its character, it's, exactly, oh, Physical I like the Glen place. because
7: you had that Seneca Lodge there
5: as well to stay at. We're not and talking you... about the social side, we're talking about the driving. Oh, are we? I didn't... <laughs> Sorry, so I didn't get... has gone straight in... to the bedroom scene, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Unbelievable. Is that, is that the name of a corner? What? <laughs> bedroom, is that the name of a corner somewhere?
7: Uh, yes, it was yeah. a fast left-hander that... Uh... <laughs> yeah. And,
1: yeah. And you always took it flat, didn't you?
7: <laughs> Horizontal. I never lived. <laughs> never lived.
3: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
1: Jackie, somewhere like Bridgehampton, one of the or Riverside, to where you raced in Canam. I mean, Bridgehampton was fantastically dangerous. I never went there. <coughs>
6: Did you not? <laughs> oh, that's ruined that. I, I heard it was. Yeah, it's very dangerous. Uh, and Riverside now it's got houses on it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. They, uh, yes. No, I you went there. Well, no, Cut Lake was great. Well, you been uh, doing
5: Bridgehampton. Mossport's
1: cool, no. isn't
6: it as well? Mossport's great.
5: Yeah, we used to do and, Porsche uh, driving days at Bridgehampton, and uh, the beginning of Porsche driving schools in America. And I mean, you go along that straight. It's as rough as any track in the world. I mean, you're bouncing. Like this and we were doing you know 170 in Porsches but the, it, as you go past the pits it goes up a brow and then drops off the end and there's a right hander I remember Bruce and Denny telling us the stories of trying to get over the top flat and go around the right hander downhill it was awful and of course you've seen the pictures of the early days I mean there was no banks it was trees and grassland and de- really really dangerous
6: I was the first one to take off in a Canaan car it's happened quite a lot since, and that was at Blanc, where they had a hump in the back straight on the first lap behind Denny. And uh, the, the trouble is with Can-Am cars, when they get the air underneath them, that happens. <laughs> yeah.
4: it's <yeah. laughs> a good sound effect, wasn't it? Well, yeah. that's, well where,
6: that's where search I think whatever that's made of is slightly stronger than a Can-Am car, yeah. And it, and it did 360 degrees in the air at 180 miles an hour. And the engine being at the back caused the rotation the Aliens didn't work into the joystick no. um, and it landed back on its wheel I mean several the- several cars since and uh, the, the cars that you drive flat bottom cars have yeah. taken off and got the air underneath so, but uh,
5: ground effect cars you see didn't take off as anything like it it was the flat bottoms that did it all the Mercedes crashes I mean God, you know you, the ground effect they stopped because we were too fast through the corners of the, during the 80s but in reality I don't think anyone
4: really ever took off in a ground effect car this is a discussion an in Indy car just now because They've taken all the tunnels away from yeah. them, and they need to go back on. Exactly. Well,
7: they took off at and off. Off. what was he
4: called? Dumbreck, the, the Dumbra and Weber. They what? They were all flat bottom. They were bottomed. flat bottomed Yeah. What do you know about flat bottom? <laughs> would really you say right, this well. is a positive <laughs> development? And they need the They need the tunnels back. The is you get in that. We need to have the tunnels. You back. get
5: in that turbulence behind a car, and I don't care. The cars are running at that rake, and you get behind, and you pull out to overtake, and there's turbulence on one side of the car in front because he's got air going under, doing all sorts of things, and if the car would just go up like that with ground effects it honestly didn't happen and we reduced ground effects at the mall, obviously to get 235 miles an hour but you still have a certain amount for the infield or if you want to call it that or the road back to the start and of course you didn't have any problems with it another uh, couple of questions one here yes sir um, we have a Bruce
3: McLaren trip this weekend any
5: uh, stand up memories of Bruce
0: from the 1960s not me no I've never met Bruce. him unfortunately
5: you
0: know Bruce? Bruce McLaren yeah 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 i
7: i worked with him we we built a we built a prototype mclaren and we came down here to to goodwood to test it it was called uh goodwood Torino was the sort of outfit that ran it and we put a DFE engine which he designed the back end into an m8 can am car and ran it as a three liter prototype and he tested the car here for me and he got out and i said so what do you think he said well it's the handling's fantastic I said, well, will you drive it in the BOAC 1000Ks for me with Trevor Taylor or Chris Kraft? And he thought about it and he said, no, it's like a Can-Am car with a clockwork motor.
4: (laughs) He didn't want to drive it,
7: but he he was a great sorter-outer of cars,
5: fantastic, and just a really nice guy to work with. Just, just one bit, very quick story. I, Bruce, I was at Ferrari in 68, 69. Ferrari pulled out of Formula One, and I got a call from Bruce McLaren to drive in the British Grand Prix in the four-wheel drive car, which was in the Weecroft Museum. Bruce came here on the Wednesday and tested this. I uh, thought it would be okay for the Grand Prix. Phones me up and says, how about it? Ferrari said, fine, you do it. Went to Silverstone. I mean, just like today when you never sit in the car. And um, got in the car, went out and did some laps and then I said well it wasn't quite working the way it should be obviously the difficult you know with obviously having braking working you know 60-40 and then a problem with the driving the gearbox slowing you down because the wanted electronics then and we did the race so we are at the back of the grid and the suspension broke and I remember afterwards Bruce and Denny finished third and fourth in the conventional car and afterwards Bruce said to me what do you think I said well it's not really much good and that was it and four wheel drive stopped there but he built this incredible car which is, still exists I don't think it's here which is rather. A pity but somebody's got to do anything.
1: starting very quickly you raced against Bruce uh, yeah. he, he was a clever guy he, was an, he got his hands dirty he was an engineer and, and very quick as well
3: yeah but he was He was a nice guy to have around as well I mean that's the point and I think we all you know enjoyed his company frankly I mean as a driver he was very competent um, you know I mean you take him as a co-driver if you could get him and a good, good, good guy he'd be amazed about what McLaren has become Perhaps not
1: this oh, year, seven. Um, but uh, throughout the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, what he started with probably ten blokes has become a, a monster setup.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, but he deserves success because because I think he put a lot into racing and let him get you know have, come out of it.
1: Uh, we have to stop there, folks, otherwise we will uh, abruptly lose our live stream. Uh, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. We'll have a photo opportunity um, outside afterwards. Uh, enjoy the day's racing. Don't forget the media moment tomorrow morning where we will celebrate uh, with this great man on my left. The summer of 1955 when he won the Mille Miglia, the British Grand Prix, the Tourist Trophy and the Targa Florio. There will be a presentation on the lawn uh, tomorrow with Lord March. Uh, enjoy uh, the day's racing. Uh, could I please uh, thank the panel. So Sterling Moss Alan Cadney, Derek Bell, Jochen Mars, Dario Franchetti and Jackie Oliver. Thank you. Thank you. They've uh, they've mostly retired so they can eat the chocolate now. A big hand for nice, the thank mo- you very
0: much indeed. Big hand for you. Thank you. For the moderator. Well good job.